to Prague and seen the astronomical clock. Anybody know what the astronomical clock is? Anybody? Yeah. So in Prague, there's a 14th century clock on the side of a church that shows you whether it's day or night. It shows you the time of day. Fine. Okay. Of course. It shows you whether it's day or night. It shows you the astrological sign for some reason. It also, even though it's 14th century and it's mechanical in a very basic way, on the hour, it causes its own little bell to ring. It puts cuckoo to shame as the 12 apostles proceed around and a figure of death comes out to remind people that they will die. And it's really quite remarkable. So you go to Prague and you stand in this little square and you wait because when you get close to the hour, like the mobs come out of the woodwork to see this incredible, remarkable thing. So I was in Prague a couple weeks ago with, with Sophie and Toby and it's the first time I'd been there in 31 years. And it's lovely. It's just lovely to be there. Prague has this super creative kind of infatuating vibe and ethos to it. It's hard to, it's hard to put a finger on it. And I just found myself saying, how does one city create such nooks, these wonderful, cozy little coffee shops, this astronomical clock, all these amazing things, the bridge, the Charles Bridge, it's, it's Tolkien-esque. Budapest and Prague, the two most Tolkien-esque cities you'll find, truly, must have influenced his imagination. So I found myself just asking, how does this happen? How do you come to this? And Prague has a very interesting, super quick little bit of history. So Prague is probably the only city in the world that was both once the home of the Holy Roman Emperor and also the home of major Reformation movements. At one point in time, when when the barbaric hordes were thrashing Rome, the Holy Roman Emperor was located all the way up in Prague. Not too far later in history, before Calvin, before Luther, before Zwingli, a Reformation happened, Reformation movement happened in Prague. They have an outstanding history, if you will, on both sides of that whole thing. So there's all this interesting spiritual stuff sewn into the, into the society, but then they also have suffered terribly. They're located in a place where you know, the powers of the East and the powers of the West, as they war back and forth, they cross over, they pass through, and it's not easy to be in the middle, particularly if your people group isn't that big. So there's this bit of perspective in Prague that gives a bit of creativity. The, the spiritual inheritance and the pain together create this little bit of perspective. So Prague is big amongst astronomers, Tycho Brahe, John Newton, Stepling, even Einstein. At various times, they end up in Prague working. Biggest picture perspective you can get, the astronomical clock. Prague has Dvorak, but also Mozart lived there for a while. But when it comes to literature, you really sort of get it. They had Kafka. And Kafka is one of the ones to write about the disaffection of what a historian might call early modern people, right? I once saw Barishnikov, the famous, I realize I'm, some of these, I probably tell you guys who they are because half of you weren't born when I did this, which is lovely, by the way, and I love it. So Barishnikov was this amazing Russian ballet dancer in the, I don't know what, the, the 90s or something. And 
he, somebody adapted Metamorphosis, Kafka's play about how modern life takes our soul away and turns us into just basically caged animals who do what we're told. And they adapted it in a creative modernist abstract way and Brishnikov danced it inside this, um, this exoskeleton cage that they made where he could climb around and move. It was genius. So Kafka, Prague has this perspective. Kafka's part of it. And then also Milan Kandura. Milan Kandura wrote a piece about the communist occupation of Prague called The Unbearable Lightness of Being. The Unbearable Lightness of Being was how when people's souls can't live, life eventually shallows out. All right? So simply to say, you're in this place, a lot of creative energy. How does a culture come to have all this creative energy? When you fly into Prague, you fly into Václav Havel Airport. Anybody remember Václav Havel? Václav Havel, I call him the toothbrush poet. He was a poet who got put in prison. And when he got out of prison in communist Czech, Slovakia at that time, he literally carried a toothbrush and toothpaste in his jacket pocket all the time. He just put it in there and held it. And every time he went out, he put on his jacket. And that means all the time he had toothbrush and toothpaste because he knew that he would be arrested again, and he was. Havel eventually got free. And when the Iron Curtain came down and the communist thing in Europe began to dissolve, Havel was elected president. Havel was the one who handled the splitting of the Czech Republic and Slovakia without bloodshed. It's called the Velvet Revolution. And I'm sorry, we finally worked our way down to the point. Thanks for bearing with me. Havel talked about how when the powers in a society present things that are obviously false as if they were true, and everyone's expected to play along and turn their face away from what is true, how that affects people's mental health and the depths of their soul because they're living in illusion all the time. So we're over there in Prague and I'm walking around, I'm asking myself, how does a culture become this way? But at the same time, we're headed to Budapest and I love Budapest. I lived there for a year. I love it. But Budapest and Hungary, their, their politics are in a dangerous place right now, a very dangerous place. And after that, we were heading to Romania, and Romania has arguably the most painful history of any European nation in the 20th century in the, in the communist dictator they had. And Romania borders Ukraine. And while I was there, I was reading a book of Ukrainian history that, that Alina, our Ukrainian part of us, our life together here, recommended to me. And in the back of my mind, as I asked these questions about Prague, as I thought about how concerned my Hungarian friends are about where their nation is going. When I was in Romania and you see the, the effort still to dig out of the hole they were in and then reading about the history of Ukraine, the back of my mind, the refrain that kept going through my mind over and over and over again was, why do the nations rage? Why do the nations rage and so furiously take counsel together? Now, I probably need to apologize to you guys real quick for a minute because this summer we said we're going to be in the Psalms and we're going to keep it light and we're just going to touch the heart and we're just going to say, like, here's a favorite Psalm. How does it speak to you? And I'm always too much in the big picture and here I am again. So I want to just apologize and get that out of the way. But this is actually where I am because it's where I was and it was this Psalm was the one speaking to me. 
Because the question is, where is God when these things happen? And what does it mean to keep hope when these things happen? And how do we get that perspective that gave so much creativity to Prague? How do we live in a creative, hope-filled, holy relationship with God when those things that are bigger than we can control are going in really bad directions, in really difficult directions? So Psalm 2. Interesting, right? We're right out the door of the Psalms, and the second one, and the second one, you go, oh my word, it's, it's gotten like, you know, heavy already. The second Psalm has 12 verses. They generally, you can understand them as generally breaking into four groups of three verses, and then making four movements. And the first one we might call delusions of grandeur. Why do the nations rage and so furiously take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed? in here and many Psalms about God's greater plan and his bigger story and about Jesus who will come. So how much does David realize it's about him and how much does he realize it's about Jesus to come someday? Some. I don't know, but somewhat. In some way. To some degree. In some general way, he knows God's working a big... He who dwells in heaven shall laugh them to scorn. If, you, if, you, if you're a lover of Handel's Messiah, you love that line. He who dwells in heaven shall laugh them to scorn. The Lord shall hold them in derision. I don't know, friends, I don't know what happens to the Putins and, and the, and the Prigazins and the Trumps of this world. I don't know. But one day, somehow, natural or otherwise, they will die. And even maybe before that, the Lord will have them in derision. Justice could come upon them before that, but it certainly will at that point. And the Lord will have the last word, if not the intermediate and the last word. He will speak to them in his wrath and he will terrify them in his great anger. Do you ever read the Bible and you get to the parts where God's angry and you realize he's not mad at you? It's a real question. Do you? Anybody? Yes, no? Are you scared of these psalms? I used to be so scared of any place in the Bible where God was mad because I just assumed he was mad at me. But now when I read something like this, I'm like, please, God, now go, do it, bring it. He's not mad at you and me. He's crying out for justice in this world. And that's, that echoes through the rest of the psalm. And he's saying it will come. It will come. And now when I read these, I'm like, God, amen. If you weren't angry, you wouldn't be holy, you wouldn't be good, and we would have a big problem because we couldn't be confident that good would win in the end. This is to celebrate. Celebrate this. Celebrate God's anger in these kinds of psalms. We don't not deserve it, but we call on the blood of Jesus. And God's speaking to people who wreck the lives of many. It's not what he intended in his good creation. So God will speak to them in his wrath. He will terrify them in his great answer. And he will say, I've got a bigger plan. I've got a bigger story and it's going to win. I myself have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. And he's pointing, yeah, a little bit to David, but mostly to Jesus. God, in that case, pointing mostly to Jesus and the big story he's going to work. 
So the third movement then is that we can take hope even in the midst of these massive big picture things that we'd rather not think about because we can't do anything about them at all. But even in the midst of those, we can still take hope. We can still live fully in reality. We can live connected and alive and we can live with purpose. I love this shift here. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. This day I have begotten you. This little bit is picked up in the New Testament. It's picked up twice in the book of Hebrews to try to say, this is not an angel, this Jesus. He's human and he's bigger than angels, both. He's, if you will, on both sides of angels. He's human, bless you, a little lower than the angels, but he's also more than the angels. To whom is, you know, to which of the angels has God ever said, you are my son, this, one, this day have I begotten you? None of them. And the incarnate Jesus is fully human and fully God. And that's all right in, right in the way that this speaks. In the book of Acts, Paul preaching in Antioch, the city where the arguably leading church of his day would emerge. And he's using this to, to talk about Jesus and to lead up to proclaiming the resurrection. You are my son, this day I have begotten, or have I begotten you. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. I will give you the nations for your inheritance. That one day every knee will bow and every tongue will, co- will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is the King. And he will reign over a newly embodied, made right, new heaven and new earth brought together as one creation. And some will rejoice to proclaim Jesus is king and others will do it with grit teeth and anger and frustration, but they still will have to acknowledge the reality that Jesus is king because truth will win out in that place. And Jesus will be acknowledged as the one that he is. In the meantime, Jesus, calling on him to act, you'll bruise them with a rod of iron, break them in pieces like a potter's vessel. So then the fourth move, where do we live then? Where do we live in a world where things are shifting, things are moving, things are fluid, and a lot of it is is treacherous? What happened in Russia yesterday? Everybody see what happened in Russia yesterday? Wow. It's hard to say where that would have gone if it had worked. It's hard to even know if it would have been better or even potentially massively worse. I don't think anybody can know. Where do we live then? We live in confident humility. We live in confident humility. Be wise now, O you kings. Be warned, you judges of the earth. Holy Roman Emperor living in Prague, good for you. Fine. Good luck with that. It's a matter of service. You need more humility than the average Joe and Jane. You need profound humility. Serve the Lord in fear. Rejoice. Yes, rejoice. Do rejoice, but with trembling. Every bit of our life is gift. Every bit of our life is gift. Kiss the son, lest he be angry. That's just ancient Near Eastern stuff. 
is it not Jesus being petulant or something? You know, it's just in Europe where everybody does the little kiss. And I always forget the first three people I meet, you know, and then I look at them and I realize, ooh, I hurt you. I didn't mean to, you know, it's not that big a deal to me, but it was to you. Kiss the sun. This is, ancient, this is what they did in that world. It's a sign of respect. So if you don't do it, it's not that he's petulant. Oh, you didn't do it. No, it's you're saying, I'm not, I'm, I'm against you. I don't trust you. I'm working against you. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled against those who cause great harm to the earth and to the people. And then at the bottom, a lovely summary line. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. Friends, as long as we call on the name of Jesus, live in true humility, bow down before him, then we rejoice in even the hard strength of this psalm. So we're, we're in Prague. I love to scoot around cities that have trams. I love to scoot around on trams, right? Trams are those things with the rail lines and the electricity above. And, you know, they run about every seven minutes. So you just sort of hop on, hop off. You buy a day pass. It's just a great little way to get around. And we're scooting along on a tram, and we come up. There's this huge Catholic church over here, and we're sort of looking at it. And Sophie looks over on the other side. She's like, hey, an antique store. And, you know, it's fun to go in an antique store in a different place, right? You get a window of history of that culture. So we hop off. We go in the antique shop. We're looking around. And I'm looking for a new cross for just, you know, every day, hang on my necklace cross. So I thought, hmm, near a Catholic church, they had a lot of religious stuff. Now, this could be a good place to get one of these. So, we're, so I asked the guy, you pull out this drawer, and there are these crosses in there. There's a cross about, I don't know, three inches high. And in the middle of it is a Nazi symbol. Thank you, those who said, ugh. Right? Here it is. In the middle of it is a Nazi symbol. And I thought, my first instinct was, gosh, I ought to buy this thing and take it home and melt it. Put it in my wood stove and melt it and just let the world be, be done with this thing. And then I thought, maybe I should buy it and discreetly and only in very rare moments, get it out and show it to people as, as a warning. We love tribe, of course we do. We're comfortable in our own tribe, of course we are. We love our own land, of course we do. But this stuff can get out of hand in a hurry. And it's dangerous stuff. And we have to have humility and it, it's a call to consistent repentance. Even if we aren't really doing wrong, repentance, the Greek word is metanoia. Metanoia is meta, big. Noia, noose, mind, story. It's a reset of our overarching story. Fine, we love our tribe, of course. We love our land, of course. But a consistent reset of perspective at a bigger astronomical, cosmic, and more level. We have a mission. It's to proclaim the great story of God and his work. And that's for all peoples everywhere and for justice to be done. And that one has to be at the top. And these things are dangerous and they're subtle and they rush in. I wonder whoever, whoever wore that thing. I wonder if they realized that essentially the crossing in a cross is the, is the heart of the cross, right? It's the middle. I wonder if they realized what they were proclaiming. They're proclaiming that this is the heart, that story, that emblem, and the cross serves it. And Jesus doesn't allow for that. He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. 
said, you must take up your cross and follow me. In the end, I didn't buy it. In the end, I just, you know, it was like Gandalf with the ring and the shire and he, and he can't touch it. He's like, I can't touch it. I can't, I won't, and I won't speak that language here. In the end, the, 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 the spirit of God just in me, just like, ugh, I just can't do it. I don't want to carry this thing through customs. I don't want to carry it around with me for a week and a half. I just can't do it. But it's just a warning that these things are sneaky and they work on us. The joy of life comes in a mission of glory to Jesus. The joy of life comes as we remember that God is with us and he loves us and he loves everyone we encounter and even those we don't. And we live in that big cosmic perspective and that brings us life. Why do the nations rage and so fiercely take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed? He will laugh them to scorn. The Lord will have them in derision and all the earth will be his inheritance. Let's pray. Jesus, bring the day. Bring the day, Lord. Come and save us and come and save especially those who are poor in this world, who are suffering in uh, situations of profound injustice in this world. Come, Lord, bring full glory to yourself, your new heaven and your new earth. Bless you, Lord Jesus.